This is the Muscles and Management Podcast, where we build your body and your business. Talking all things training, sports performance, and business for athletes and aspiring coaches to enhance your training and better your career. Muscles and Management is brought to you by Challenger Strength with your host, Jerry DeFilippo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 120 of the Muscles and Management Podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe if you have not already. I greatly appreciate it as always. Um, you know, a couple notes that I wanted to make before I get into today's episode. I was originally going to do a Q&A for this episode, but I actually received a really, really good question uh, right after I tweeted, you know, basically telling everybody to send me questions. And the question pertained to, um, you know, rotational training for uh, rotational athletes, particularly baseball, and how I utilize isometrics, um, you know, isometrics, heavier anti-rotational training, et cetera. Um, I, so I, I really want to spend this entire episode talking about that and talking a little bit about a tweet that I put out yesterday, um, basically talking about some of the things that I, I, I basically separate and, and make as, um, I guess you could say sections of a cycle plan. Like when I'm putting a cycle together for an athlete, these are the areas that I'm looking to kind of answer questions on like, Hey, what's our goal for this cycle? What are we trying to achieve? And things like that. Um, I actually got a couple follow questions on the tweet. So I thought that would make it a, um, you know, important thing to kind of talk about. So that's what I'm basically going to do. We're going to have a little bit of a talk on walking you through my thought process on what I'm doing when I, you know, plan a training cycle for my athletes. And then we're also going to talk about, uh, how I look at rotational power, uh, anti-rotational strength, things of that nature and, and, and how we train them. So, uh, just give you a little insight on what we're looking for in, uh, this, you know, this week's episode. In terms of scheduling, uh, if you have not already, please go back and check out last week's episode, uh, 119 with Seton Hall University strength and conditioning coach, Angelo Gingerelli, uh, really just cool guy, down to earth guy, um, blue collar vibe. Like I, I really resonate with that a lot. Um, I actually got a compliment from somebody recently in a DM saying that I had a, uh, real blue collar feel to like what I do. And I, that really meant a lot to me because, um, Excuse me. My, my fall allergies have been acting up. Um, I, I do come from those type of people. Um, you know, the blue collar type of people. I'm the, I'm a first generation college student, uh, in my family. Uh, and me and my sister are. And, uh, you know, that really means a lot to me. I really do try to have that approach with what I do, make it easy to understand for you guys. Um, make it applicable, make my athletes, you know, understand what we're trying to achieve and stuff like that. So, um, I, I think Angelo is also that type of person and we really just hit it off and had a great episode because of that. Um, you know, also talking about a lot of important topics when it comes to, uh, you know, baseball players and strength and conditioning, almost like a timeline in terms of what we do into in a season and what we're looking to, uh, to work up towards. Uh, he guides us through that. And talking about about a uh, bunch of different neat topics, I think you guys will enjoy. So if you haven't already, episode one nineteen last Wednesday, check that out. Really excited for this Wednesday's episode one twenty one with Brendan Thompson. Um, I, I think just one of the really bright and up and coming strength and conditioning coaches. I'm sorry, uh, speed coaches in the industry was an all American uh, sprinter at Iowa and also just completed uh, physical therapy school. So he's now a doctor of physical therapy and he's going to be doing both. So basically practicing as a physical therapist 
and training athletes for speed. And I think, you know, guys like him that are really well-rounded like that are going to be a tremendous asset to the industry. So uh, really excited for the conversation that we had and for you guys to hear that. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And uh, yeah, I guess the last thing I want to say is prayers up to Dak Prescott. Pretty crazy injury that he suffered. And I know uh, what that injury is like. I had a similar injury in college, so I can only imagine what he's going through. So I want to just, uh, give a quick shout out to him. Uh, you know, speedy recovery. I know he just went into surgery, so I hope that goes well. And, uh, even as a Giants fan, you hate to see those type of injuries for any athlete, you know, given how hard they work and, and what the game means to them and, uh, how great of a person he is. So prayers up for Dak Prescott. All right. With that said, let's get a little bit into today's episode. So, the first thing I want to talk a little bit about is, like I said, a tweet that I had, um, you know, basically talking about what I look to distinguish in terms of, you know, checking off boxes of different aspects of training when it comes to setting up a program, um, you know, for an athlete, right? And I think the the biggest thing that I wanted to make known here is, I think this is an important thing to do because we have to establish a a skeleton or a plan going into training that gives us and guides us, gives us an idea of like, what, what, what are we trying to accomplish? Like we're going into this training cycle. Um, are we aimlessly just floating around and just not knowing, you know, what we're trying to achieve or do we actually have a plan? And after that, it almost looks as if like, okay, everyone always talks about assessing and testing. Well, it's like, do I use my assessments? Do I use my tests? Do I actually like make use of them to get my athletes better? Or am I just doing, you know, tests and assessments, uh, you know, just to, you know, sound cool or look cool or just be the newest, uh, cool thing. And I think there is some of a problem with that when it comes to, um, you know, the industry of not making use out of tests or just doing tests just because. And I think the biggest divide there is, you know, are we setting up our programs uh, and, and cycles to reflect decisions we are making that are based on the testing that we're doing? And in my mind, if you're not doing that, you're going to leave a lot of holes to yourself and you're going to just really uh, leave yourself susceptible to not having a long-term goal. When I say long-term, even in like that six-week kind of window, like what are we looking to get to at the end of the six weeks? Look, What are we looking to improve upon? So my system that I developed that helps me take my testing feedback, um, you know, spin that into reliable programming that actually works on, um, you know, getting results for the issues or things that I want to, you know, see improve from that testing uh, and a combo of like what time of year we're in, um, you know, what does the athlete need? What's their training age? What their goals are? Things like that. And when, when it comes to that, like after we get that and we make those decisions, I'm then going to separate and basically uh, make a cycle off of certain categories. So the first thing that I do is I'll program or I'm sorry, I'll map out the, the and plot out the time, right? So I do like to work in six week blocks. It's just kind of always what I've done and, and I've had success with. But there are instances where we might do a four week block, um, you know, maybe a little bit of a longer block, but usually four to six weeks. And once I do that, I'll lay out the the, you know, the Monday of each week. So I'll say, okay, like, you know, I'll just use today's date for an example. Um, it's Monday, October 12th. So, uh, the program starts on, on 10, 12, 2020, 10, 19 would be week two, 10, 26 would be week three, uh, 11, two would be week four and so on and so forth. So I map that out, like what each week is week one, week two, week three. Uh, and so I, so I have that planned out. I know when I'm going to, right. 
from there, I'm going to give a little indication of like what my primary goals are for this cycle. Um, you know, what are the main things that I'm looking to achieve? I'm looking to, uh, maintain physical attributes in season. I'm looking to make, uh, gains in season. It's the first cycle of the off season. So I'm looking to build back, you know, lost muscle mass and, and things that have kind of maybe deteriorated from the long grind of the season. Or it's the, the middle of the off season cycle and I'm trying to build up to a peak or it's the peaking portion of my cycle going into a season. So I'm trying to have the athlete firing on all cylinders. Like those are a little bit, those are some of the things that we can end up going with when it comes to some of our primary goals. Uh, I'm looking to build a base of, you know, sprint mechanics, basic sprint mechanics and basic jump mechanics. Uh, I'm looking to progress into more complicated sprint starts and, and, and jumps to basically progress the, the athlete through sprints and plyometrics. Um, I'm looking to, you know, utilize more speed based movements to improve the athlete's use of velocity and the force velocity curve. I'm looking to utilize more, uh, heavier loaded jumps and sprints to, you know, increase their force output in, uh, their jumps and sprints and improve their, their force producing ability on that side of the curve could be anything, right? Like what are my primary goals? I need to list them out because if I know what my primary goals are with this athlete based on the testing feedback and kind of like where we are in their development, then I can easily plan everything else. From there, I want to clearly distinguish what my speed training is going to consist of and what my plyometric training is going to consist of. Will it be more basic starts and basic jumps, as I said, to establish a base? Am I going to use uh, heavier loaded sprints or jumps for an athlete that has a force deficiency? Am I going to use band accelerated uh, sp- uh, jumps, for example, to increase the use and improve the use of the stretch shortening cycle when it comes to the athlete? Uh, that is something that is very important in terms of the programming to distinguish, you know, what loads am I going to use on sprints and plyometrics? And with team sport athletes, obviously improving speed is one of the biggest things that we're looking to do. So, you know, determining that early on, is going to be a big, um, you know, guiding light for us. So making those determinations, uh, maybe what's, what starts am I going to use in my sprints to, does my athlete need more top speed work or more acceleration work? Uh, when it comes to acceleration work, what kind of loads are we going to be using on our sled, let's just say, if we're doing a resisted sprint, um, you know, all things of that nature. Like, are we going to just work on typical bilateral jumps? Are we going to, um, you know, have some pause jumps worked in there, extensive jumps to develop, you know, loading mechanics and build work capacity? Um, are we going to do heavier loaded jumps to, you know, build the for- use of force in uh, the vertical plane or, ver- I'm sorry, vertical with vertical power with an athlete? Or are we going to use some pan accelerated jumps, as I alluded to, to build the uh, nature in which they can load on their muscles and use a stretch shortening cycle? These are all different avenues we can go into with these. And it's very important that we determine what those things are so we can plan it out for the entire cycle. From there. We want to determine what our goals are for our primary movement. So let's just say for upper body and lower body, we have two movements that we want to say uh, we're building the program around. So I have determined that uh, one of my athletes needs to improve. Uh, let's just say it's a baseball player. And I think for them, it's very valuable to, uh, you know, let's say get their landmine press up. Like I want to improve their vertical scap uh, power and and strength and, and overall in, in that uh, area. So we're going to use the landmine press. Okay, well... Are we going to use the landmine press and load it more for strength? Why? Like, what's the what's the reasoning? Is it early in the off season and it's an athlete that needs to get stronger? 
Uh, is it an athlete that is it, is it an athlete that is pretty strong and you know we could benefit from some lighter loads moved a little bit faster and and more of a VBT approach uh, maybe speed strength strength speed accelerator strength maybe more on the four side um, you know what is going to be our plan with that primary upper body movement if we're going to do strength work. Um, what's the volume plan going to be like throughout the cycle? Am I going to work, uh, you know, up to a heavier single and how am I going to progress through that over the course of six weeks? I need to know that. I don't want to just come in and say, oh, we'll, we'll do three reps today. That sounds good. No, I want to know what my plan is. Um, you know, in my lower body movement, am I using a trap bar deadlift, a front squat? Maybe I want to just stick strictly unilateral. Uh, you know, it's an, it's an older athlete that has a pretty good, uh, squat or deadlift. Let's just say, and I want to zone in a little more on working on, uh, one leg. So I got to pick what my movement is again. Um, you know, based on the feedback that I've gotten from maybe doing a basic force velocity profile on a vertical jump mat, um, you know, what does the athlete really need more of based on the decisions I'm making on that feedback? So I'm going to plot out, Hey, we're going to do basic strength work right now. They need to build their use of force or their overall force production, or, Hey, they're pretty strong already. I got to get them moving a little bit faster and exerting more force in a short amount of time, rate of force development. So we're going to load the bar a certain way. We have to make that distinction. And the same thing goes with a supplemental movement. So like what are the movements that we're, that we're using to build up uh, these primary movements? And how I look at it, and I talked about this on the conjugate episode uh, last week, is you know the sprints, the jumps, and how we're doing in our sport are the top of the food chain when it comes to programming for a team sport athlete. So you know I'm looking at, hey, um, you know, let's just say for a position player in baseball, uh, and I want to get them faster and I want to make them more explosive and more powerful, generally speaking, for their, uh, for their throwing, for their swinging, you know, increase their, their bat speed and overall power, uh, and get them faster. Let's just say I have a baseball player that needs to get faster overall, right? So I'm going to say, okay, they need to get faster. I know, generally speaking, that, um, however, I determine, you know, what needs to be done for their, their speed, let's just say, there's a pretty good chance that doing that is going to also improve the rotational power, um, you know, in terms of what they're lacking, whether it's on the force or velocity side. So I make the determination baseball player needs to get faster, uh, overall. I did a vertical jump test and I did their static vertical and I did their counter movement jump. And I've determined that that athlete has more of a velocity based need. They need to get better at utilizing the stretch shortening cycle, improve the rate in which they produce force, right? So we're going to be doing, um, you know, maybe more top speed work, you know, maybe their acceleration based training. Um, you know, I've highlighted the fact that they don't accelerate very well. So I can do some, some heavier sprints, um, whatever you may have, their jumps and their sprints are going to be catered around what I've determined is the need for them to get faster. So everything we do underneath that, the, the barbell movements, if we're using them, the, the movements that support the barbell movements, the accessory work, all of that is coming up underneath the primary, or I'm sorry, the sprints and the jumps and the primary movements. That's all going up underneath the sprints and the jumps to bolster the improvement of those things based on what I've determined is needed to improve upon them and ultimately will help them get faster in their sport, right? So I might have a baseball player and I say, hey, you know, they need to get faster overall. They need to get their 60 time down, whether you think that 60 is a good test or not, but they need to get their 60 time down and they are a velo deficient athlete, right? So we're going to need to do some top speed work, get them producing force a little more rapidly, right? But at the same time, I know that in the context of their sport, being a good accelerator is really big in baseball. So I might I might have them do some heavier uh, acceleration-based work with a lot of the stuff that I'm trying to get them to uh, to do to improve their, their velocity output in their movement. So um, it's not all black and white, and that's just an example of that. And when you go down the line, so 
you determine your speed and what you're going to be doing for sprints. You determine your uh, plyometrics and what you're going to be doing for the loading on those and how you're going to be utilizing those. Um, what planes you're using in your plyometrics. Uh, early in an off-season, you want to just work on some basic, maybe vertical and linear power output. Later in an off-season, you want to work on some transverse power output in your jump. So maybe rotating through some jumps, uh, you know, work on the frontal plane when it comes to a baseball player. You have your supplemental movements, as I mentioned, that support your primary movements. You have accessories, right? Uh, do I have a hypertrophy focus with my accessories, my, my exercises, my movements later on, maybe in a training session? Are they going to try to build lean mass to support maybe other things that we're trying to build? Do I know that I have to keep an athlete right around the body weight that they are because I only have six weeks maybe to, you know, peak, um, their speed for a, a test? Uh, of that speed. So I don't want to put them through a lot of hypertrophy that's going to make them gain um, any body weight because I want to make their relative strength and relative power as high as possible and I only have a short window. Or I have a developing athlete where this is a longer game and I need to build some size and put some mass on them. So I'm going to let them do some more hypertrophy driven accessories to build that up. And then also... What am I doing for core training? Is it, um, you know, maybe just for a baseball player in season, it's only anti-rotational because they're rotating a lot in practices and games. So I want to kind of maybe, you know, not give them that and try to offset some of the injury issues we could have from just endless amounts of rotation. Or it's the off season, right? I want to build uh, rotational power in my baseball player. So I'm going to, you know, have them throw med balls. Maybe the load of the med ball is a little heavier based on the force velocity profile that I've gathered. Maybe it's a little lighter uh, depending on that. Um, you know, maybe I'm doing some heavier ISO, um, anti-rotational work based on what I've seen that they need to just get stronger in terms of the raw force they're outputting in rotation. Uh, that's an example of all the categories that I want to basically define and, and know what I'm trying to achieve in those certain categories, which, and this is a good segue, it brings me to my next, the next question that I had. Um, you know, how do I train rotational athletes in terms of building overall rotational power? The way I look at rotation is not much different than how I would look at how I would build overall power output in a jump or in a sprint. And I, what I mean by that is I think a certain amount of rotational power comes from the raw force that I can exert in, in the transverse plane, but also, um, you know, how efficient can I be? in transferring the energy from the ground up the chain. And I don't want to get off topic here because the question was pertaining directly to rotational exercises, but I think overall, like building a strong base, building a strong lower body, and more importantly, a powerful lower body. Um, I've seen such good success with my golfers, uh, with my baseball players in terms of vertical power increases having a positive impact on overall rotational output because the better we are at and, and faster we can transfer power up the chain. Think about a vertical jump. You're loading into your limbs and you're exploding vertically. And then look at a rotational movement where power starts from the ground and the legs extend into powerful output into hip extension. Um, that vertical power is just so huge in terms of overall force production and rotational movements in terms of what we can take from ground forces, right? When it comes to overall rotation, though, I look at it in a couple ways. I think the one of the biggest single factors when it comes to building uh, strong or, or powerful rotation in athletes comes from their ability to generate forces uh, from a static position, generate rotational forces from a static position, right? But then also how fast they can do it. So I think it's no different than any other movement we're building in a program, whether it's speed or jumping. And what I mean by that is 
when you're rotating at times, you're moving across the frontal plane, right? The athlete, whether they're pitching or they're hitting, they're moving frontally before they rotate, right? So can I get across the frontal plane efficiently, but then I have to then generate rotations. Let's just say the, the foot plants, right? And there's rotation occurring. Um, you know, how much raw force rotationally can I generate all at once and how fastly can I do it? And that then leads to the question, why would we train rotational power any differently than any other movements we think of when it comes to the force velocity curve? I can't just train rotation with light med balls fast, 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 right? That's going to totally dismiss the entire premise of building the the raw force output from a static position or from from a, a point where no rotation is occurring and now rotation is occurring, right? So what that means is I need to get my athletes, you know, adept at applying a good amount of force in the transverse plane and initiating rotation with heavier anti-rotational activity, right? So when we think about building overall force and strength, let's just say in the vertical uh, output, we would do a squat, right? Like you're you're pressing into the ground. It's a fixed surface and you're exerting, um, you're recruiting motor units to exert force uh, vertically, right? It's hard to do that that way with rotation. So one of the most important things we can do is utilize overcoming isometrics to build raw force output in rotational activity strapping a, 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 a let's say a, putting a strap on a on a squat rack or on a movable object and telling the athlete to pull and try to pull that object into rotation they're not going to actually be rotating but their body is trying to rotate and they're pulling as hard as they possibly can for a few seconds recruiting all those motor units in a maximal strength type of way i think that is just so valuable to be paired with any of the faster rotational work we are doing you have to remember this Rotational athletes are doing fast, dynamic rotation with light objects in their sport. Uh, a bat is light. A ball is light. Like they're doing all of that in their sport. If we say we want to improve their overall power output, let's just say, let's think about it in sprinting. An athlete runs pretty well. We want to get them, uh, you know, a little faster. And we determine that they struggle in their sprint in the earlier part of the sprint. Yeah, I'm going to get faster if I just keep on sprinting in general, but I'd be a fool to not dig into, you know, what can I do to improve overall power output? And regular sprinting is unloaded. It's as fast as we possibly can be. And so are the movements we're doing in sports and baseball in throwing and hitting. It's as fast as we possibly can be with lighter implements. I need to use some heavier implements to build power output that will supplement the velocity in which they're they're rotating that we're going to get a lot of out of in sport and yeah we can also train that a little bit in training with lighter med balls and lighter implements so i would say you know go after that maximal motor uh, motor unit recruit uh, excuse me motor unit recruitment type uh anti-rotation with overcoming isos um you know doing heavier sledgehammer swings like heavier types of rotational activity um, to build that maximal force output in rotation and then find where the gaps need to be filled in. Like, do they need more of that work? Do they need faster rotational work with lighter med balls? You know, we do have 20 pound med balls, 18 pound med balls. Like, why can't we do rotational work with a 20 pound med ball versus it always being a six pound med ball? Like, we have to think these things through. And I like to treat rotation just as I would, um, you know, force profiling, jumps, or sprints. And I think everybody should be doing that. Um, you know, lastly, and, and this is a big one, is I really do think that overall rotational output is dictated a lot by how strong we are anti-rotationally. Um, you know, I think... 
being able to be resilient anti-rotationally um, can help us in terms of, you know, getting athletes to need to exert more force to initiate rotation and thus more power will come out of subsequent rotational bouts. I talked a little bit about tangent force, but the idea that, um, you know, how strong I am in my interior core, the stronger I am by that, the more I'll have to actually exert on my body to initiate rotation. As we know, what we put into something must come out of it. Newton's laws, um, what I exert in will come out. And thus, in my opinion, the stronger anti-rotational athlete will have to exert more to initiate rotation and get more out of rotation. So one of my favorite things that I'm doing right now is standard overcoming ISO pal-off presses, max exertion, 10 seconds and under, 10 being the most we will go, Um, you know, doing, you know, half kneeling variations of this if you want to get more specific um you know going further down the line when it comes to that type of stuff we can move into you know going gradually from maybe holding the band at our midsection up to above our head just to provide different degrees of of uh difficulty to can provide that anti um you know rotation with a little bit of anti extension if we go a little bit more overhead, things like that. But I do believe that getting athletes to exert as much as they possibly can, recruit as many motor units as possible, and generate a lot of force rotationally from a static position is huge for overall rotational power development. So uh, that's my answer to that. And I do think as well, like I like to train the core three different ways. We'll train it in a power sense, so a little lighter um, for for a little more speed. We'll train it in a max uh, strength sense or max uh, or you know, recruiting and exerting as much force as possible from a static position like we do any other uh, part of our body. So that's more of those overcoming isos come in or doing things from more of a endurance standpoint, uh, longer pal-off press hold or things like that because that does come into play as well, um, you know, as we're taxing and adding more volume on uh, to our rotational athletes. So I hope that answers that question. That's kind of how I go about, uh, you know, working and building rotation with my rotational athletes. And uh, obviously as alluded to earlier in the show, um, you know, that is how I kind of break down a a cycle and prepare a program for an athlete. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Give me any feedback that you have, Uh, you know, let me know what you liked, what you didn't like and how I could do better uh, to answer these questions. And we will be back on Wednesday with Brendan Thompson and then back again next Monday with another episode of Meathead Monday. So I hope you guys enjoy and have a great rest of your week. Talk to you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Muscles and Management Podcast brought to you by Challenger Strength. I'm your host, Jared Filippo, signing off on the show that's changing the way we view training, sports performance, and business.